Hi, everyone. This is Corey on Advancing Present Practice. Today is the Sunday following Thanksgiving, and we have no physical guests today, but what we do have are the thoughts and inspiration of many brave individuals who have advanced our practice by being present with each other during this very challenging year within healthcare. Two days prior to Thanksgiving, on Tuesday, marked the last University of Kentucky Enterprise Advanced Practice Provider Council meeting of the year 2021. This is a platform where I was privileged to serve as co-chair of this group seeking to represent nurse practitioners, nurse anesthetists, nurse, clinical nurse specialists, nurse midwives, and physician assistants or associates over the last several months. The beauty of this group is that it is voluntary in nature. No one is forced to be present, but we continue to show up. One of the activities at our last 2021 meeting was to review our highs, lows, and supportive networks within this year. There was a common theme among the answers that were expressed, fatigue and gratitude. Here were some examples of remarks from our diverse advanced practice providers. Lows in the NICU would be high acuity, high stress, high turnover, and a lot of pull on my team from having people that have been here for 20 years quit. When people quit, it expresses discontent and causes even more people to leave. However, a high was that we were recognized for our hard work and that the pay was more to make up for extra shifts. Money is not the answer to everything, but it did definitely help it be easier and to be able to work harder and more hours. It is also, of course, a high to save lives and make people happy. One of my highs was getting involved in the council. I think it introduced me to UK as a broader group and helped me be more aware of things that were going on here. When I find myself more engaged in a broader sense of things, I don't focus on the things that my work in my work that are frustrating. I do I think the understaffing in the provider nursing side of UK has been a low for basically everyone. And I agree that it brings even more people to leave because of that understaffing problem. However, in terms of supportive networks, I do feel like I have found people to call on. For example, I wasn't able to manage someone, but I knew someone from council and she was able to answer questions for me. And it made me confident to have her advice and support. I agree with everyone. I think a high is that UK brings everyone to want to be more engaged and learn more about the institution. The lows are that it has been hard and COVID is dragging on and winter with it being extremely dark when you go in and when you come in. I think that support from everyone is a high and we have so many people to reach out to. I'm thankful for someone in council reaching out to me and would love to hear from anyone. I'm so thankful for each one of you guys because almost everyone is involved, whether it is the lead council, recognition committee, APP council, advisors, APP pool. I think this is a super high high. The more we are involved, the more well-rounded we are. Now, our system is not limited to advanced practice providers, but includes nurses, nurse leaders, educators, physicians, respiratory therapists, medical assistants, 
physical therapists, social workers, music therapists, licensed counselors, patient access team members, administrators, nursing technicians, and the students learning within each one of these professions that I have included and regretfully forgotten within our healthcare system. About one in five healthcare workers has left their job since the pandemic started. This is their story and the story of those left behind is the heading of an article from The Atlantic written by Ed Young and published on November 16th this year. Its statistics and sentiments were bone chilling and it was entitled Why Healthcare Workers Are Quitting in Droves. Over the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to review some of the content of this article as it is very important to highlight during this end of the year time. Many healthcare workers, the article states, have lost their jobs because they've been forced to leave because they've contracted COVID and can no longer work. But many choose to leave, including people whom I thought would nurse patients until the day they died, says Amanda Benacourt, the president-elect of the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that healthcare sector has lost nearly half a million workers since February of 2020. Morning Consult, a research survey company, found that 18% of healthcare workers have quit since the pandemic began, began while 12% have been laid off. 31% of the remaining healthcare workers have considered leaving their employer. The American Association of Critical Care Nurses found that 66% of acute and critical care nurses have thought about quitting nursing entirely. Normally, around 20% would, would consider leaving their institution. An emergency physician at Oregon Health and Science University told the author that she now cringes when a colleague approaches her at the end of the shift fearing that they'll announce their resignation too. Dean of Medical Education of University of Chicago Medicine says, in meetings with our healthcare leaders, when we go around the room, everyone says we're struggling to retain our workforce. Nobody says we're fine. The American Hospital Association, representing hospital administrators, turned down a request for interview but sent links to a letter criticizing anti-competitive pricing for travel nursing agencies and reported showing staff shortages have cost hospitals $24 billion over the course of this pandemic. From the perspective of healthcare workers, though, those financial problems took at least partly, were at least partly self-inflicted. Workers left because they were poorly treated or compensated forcing hospitals to hire travel nurses at greater costs. And there's resentment among full-time staff who are paid substantially less, but often asked to care for the sickest patients. Hospitals hired their own staff back as travel nurses and paid them higher rates in some situations. Whatever the intentions behind these decisions, they were the final straw for many healthcare workers. One nurse said, I've been a nurse for 45 years and I've never seen this level of dissatisfaction between clinicians and their employers. The same is true 
across almost every sector of the U.S. Record-breaking numbers of Americans left their job from April, well, in April, and then again in July, and then again in August. This great resignation, as the author's colleague Derek Thompson wrote, is really an expression of optimism that says, we can do better. The culture of medicine makes it hard for healthcare workers to realize that many enter these professions as a calling to sacrifice their time, energy, and self. But that attitude combined with taboos around complaining and seeking mental health help can make them vulnerable to exploitation, said Vinit Aurora. This can blur the lines between service and servitude. It was found that 35, between 35 and 54% of American nurses and physicians were already feeling burned out before the pandemic hit. During it, many have taken stock of their difficult working conditions and inadequate pay and decided that instead of being resigned, they will resign. In addition, life outside of the walls of our healthcare systems can be hard to live within who have built their identities within it. The author says that for some, it's like returning from war and mingling with civilians who don't understand what you went through. He quotes, I met up with some friends who were really bright people who said, wait, the winter was traumatizing? Molly Phelps said she thinks that healthcare workers are either preparing for work, at work, or recovering from work, which leaves little time for talking about their experiences. And those who do not talk can hit a brick wall of pandemic denial. The article references Donna Kim Murphy and Narissa Black at the end of the article. Donna Kim Murphy is a former physician who has been living within the COVID pandemic and started a political action committee to get doctors into office as part of a plan to reform medicine. She said, I was growing increasingly concerned of how inhumane our profession is. There's no culture of physicians organizing and fighting for their rights, but that's something we should think about to leverage the outrage and frustration that people have. Nerissa Black, a nurse in Valencia, California, is staying in medicine. She was so disillusioned by her hospital's handling of the pandemic that she almost left nursing entirely, but she changed her mind to continue being part of the National Nurses United Union and advocating for better working conditions. For example, California is the only state that caps the ratio of patients to nurses, and she wants to see similar limits nationwide. I feel more resolute, she said. So given the state of our advanced practice providers within the University of Kentucky and the state of the healthcare workers among our entire nation, what do we do? It's sometimes hard to just sit and even think about that question because of the overwhelming solutions or lack thereof that may exist. But 
there are some concepts that come to my mind when thinking about our state. These include the concept of emotional agility and Susan David, languishing and Adam Grant, and finally vulnerability and Brene Brown. Let's start with languishing. What is it? Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist, and he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal on languishing this year. It is considered the absence of well-being, the void between depression and flourishing states, and similar to looking at life through a foggy window. Languishing is predicted to be the dominant emotion of 2021. According to sociologists, people that sit in a languishing state may be at risk for depression and anxiety in the next decade. And there are three things that we can do about languishing. And those are to name the feeling, to know that the feeling is common, and to find the antidote of languishing. So, naming the feeling. Last year, grief was used to name the collective discomfort many felt which helped express difficult emotions. We lost normalcy, people, loved ones, structure. And Adam Grant says, just because you're not depressed doesn't mean you're not struggling. And just because you're not burnt out doesn't mean you're fired up. According to psychologists, giving a voice to what is, feel, as important is one of the most important strategies in managing emotions. So naming the feeling. Second thing, knowing that the feeling is common. Again, it will. It was likely the dominant emotion of 2021. It is nothing to be ashamed of. And the recognition of it is a healthy counter to that idea of toxic positivity, a Western culture pressure to always be upbeat no matter what's going on. The last thing is to find the antidote. It's important to celebrate little wins and to get into flow. Flow is the state of absorption during captivating experiences such as finding meaningful work in a project or even binging a show that you like on Netflix. The most important factor in daily joy is a sense of progress, creating and then guarding uninterrupted time for flow is very helpful since fragmented interruption is an enemy of engagement. Not protecting time could keep us from making small steps to rediscovering energy and enthusiasm. And these are ways to find the antidote for the state of languishing. Brene Brown is a qualitative researcher and she studies vulnerability, especially within organizations She hosts a podcast called Dare to Lead, and this year she interviewed Susan David, who's a PhD and one of the world's leading management thinkers and award-winning Harvard Medical School psychologist. In their talk this year, they bring up Viktor Frankl's quote. That quote is, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I think that that quote hits on this idea that oftentimes we react immediately 
and we don't pause within a space to figure out how to strategically respond. This is especially true in the work of healthcare is oftentimes we are parts of a system that practices reactive medicine. Brene and Susan also discuss in that interview the difference between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Sympathy is sending prayers or thoughts to others. Empathy is actually sitting in difficult emotions and sometimes darkness with others. And compassion is sitting with and finding the energy to give aid or provide resources or help to others. Brene Brown conducted qualitative research on those who have the capacity to exert compassion. And what she found was interesting. She found that people with the most compassion had something very important in common, and that was setting personal boundaries for themselves, which is difficult to do when so much work must be done. Emotional agility is what Susan David's work is surrounding. The definition of emotional agility is being flexible with your thoughts and feelings so that you can respond optimally to everyday situations. It is approaching one's inner experiences mindfully and productively, a feat that has become increasingly challenging. It is the process that enables us to navigate life's twists and turns with self-acceptance, clear-sightedness, and an open mind. It is not about ignoring difficult emotions and thoughts. It's about accepting them. Dr. Susan, Susan David outlines four steps to train emotional agility. One, to show up. Two, to step out three, to walk your why, and four, to move on. And being mindful within each of those steps is extremely important. Mindfulness is a state of, it's a key state, trait, and practice in the development of emotional agility. So step one, showing up, it's important to be present and approach positive and negative feelings with curiosity to learn from them. Step two is stepping out and giving yourself the space and the time to process your experiences and feelings and how to appropriately manage them. Step three is walking your why. Find your why. Why is that understanding of why you show up every day and understanding what that why is provides clarity and direction and an underlying confidence when making tough decisions in your personal or professional life. Your why is not the what of how to complete a task. It's not the how of completing the task. It is the core value that is different for each one of us. Showing up and stepping out allows us to actually find or remind us of our why. Step four is moving on. After managing our emotions, we can attempt to release them, to take account of what we have learned from showing up, stepping out, and walking our whys, moving on, and passing through 
enables us to walk stronger into the next moment or challenge that we will be presented with. It is a privilege to be here today. And I think with that privilege comes a responsibility to step up and speak up. We need to seek and create boundaries that may look like asking for more time in the office, being present in formal and informal meetings with leadership presence within your healthcare system. We need to create boundaries in order to visualize how to strategize improving our individual professions and to be compassionate professionals. Every day, we help our patients confront their greatest fears during the most challenging times of their lives and their families. Let's consider that it is time to walk together in confronting the discomfort of our profession and individually turn inward and bring a sense of awareness that we are struggling one by one and together. We have much to be grateful for today, but with the knowledge that we are a work in progress as individuals and as a group of healthcare workers. So do not underestimate your value and competency as a professional, no matter how large or small. Take note of instances in the past that you made a practice change in your area that you can bring forward into tomorrow. And take time or create time to find the space to rest. One thing that we know is that we cannot eliminate the stressors that exist Our workforce is becoming smaller as more people leave the professions that we reside within and the quality of our care has and will become more compromised. So use the tools that work for you to get into a state of flow, whether that's detaching from stressors with Netflix and binging some episodes, getting lost in laughter with friends, hugging and holding your loved ones close, reading a book, taking a six-second or six-day vacation, meditating, practicing walking outside, mindful eating. Use your voice to ask for help from support within your trusted networks at every level, the personal level that you have within your families within your unit, within your department, within your system, and even your legislative representatives. If you're unaware of what these networks or people are, use your voice to ask who you do trust about where those supportive networks exist and how to communicate with them. It is possible that The only topic that may be more important than being able to tap in to resources and strategies to improve our state are understanding the factors that actually keep us from tapping into those resources. This could be a general denial or avoidance about our current state. It could be personal mental health issues. It could be the the way that we may visualize situations in a black and white manner. It could be our own personal negative thought patterns, ideas of overgeneralizing. It could be addiction issues. 
It could be workplace bullying. No matter what is keeping you from doing those things, know that tomorrow is a new day and we are not fine today. We were not fine before. Each one of us has struggled through growing pains within our systems probably ever since we were in practice, but more heavily over the last 18 months. There are two practices, in my opinion, that are critical today and tomorrow, and that is self-efficacy and curiosity. To believe in yourself can create massive change, and to ask questions to your colleagues and your leaders in a psychologically safe place can improve our current state of professional exhaustion. So stand strong at the tables and on the platforms in which you reside within and outside of your incredible work. Know that we are tired, but we are resilient and still standing. Speak about our professional collective state of exhaustion so that our voices can create meaningful change to not only honor those who have come before us, but to protect those who will come after us. And remember that we have everything we need, each other. Thank you for each one of you for showing up every day in your area of expertise. Thank you for being present every day within your teams to advance our practice and create a better tomorrow. See you next time.